I am about to practice what I so often preach, and that is show some balance on the president's immigration speech, along with Mitt Romney's op-ed regarding the president. That, maybe some things on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That on the Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing could be probably should have prepared this show yesterday where my very nerdy sinuses had me sounding like this. Or it was even deeper. Like it was, guys, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling great right now. So this is how much I appreciate you, the listener, that I'm going to be doing the show. And we'll see how long this voice actually sticks with me. Now, a lot to do on today's show. This Trump speech from, that was Tuesday night. I called it immigration there in the teaser, but really it was a, a speech about the border. Uh, that comes off the heels of last week, the big story being Mitt Romney, the new senator from Utah, obviously also the 2012 Republican nominee, wrote an op-ed uh, aimed at Donald Trump and his immorality. Uh, I want to talk about that today. I had a good question. I think it was an exasperated question that regarding just how crazy the world was. I think it was primarily out of a story, uh, one of the many transgender stories, and a Christian being punished for being unwilling to call a, a man a woman. Uh, just a question of what what do you what is a Christian to do in a world that's gone insane? Uh, I want to talk about that today. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez said something to Anderson Cooper that's very typical of her, uh, but I, I want to try to get through that today and maybe some uh, maybe some more stories if we get the chance. Plus, Heath will join us at the end of the show to talk about Clemson's national championship run. So all that is to come. My name is Corey Truax. I'll be with you for the hour for the Corey Truax Show. Among many other things, I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church, for now, meets at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville. And you are invited any given Sunday morning to Beachwood Church. We meet at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville. One personal note of privilege while uh, before we dive in regarding Beachwood and our, our drummer and his wife, uh, also just a good friend, Wesley, just, uh, they, Wesley and Sarah, just in just brought into the world their third daughter. So congrats to them. Uh, hey, if you're a listener to the show and you want some kind of shout-out, you should send that to me. When you have uh, cool things happen in life, we'd be happy to do it. All right, here we go. The th- one of the big themes of the show is balance. It's about the, the broken American brain where we're very tribal and we don't actually evaluate facts and information based on the facts and information. We evaluate facts and information based on whether or not it helps my team or hurts my team. And we don't ask what's right or wrong. We don't, what, we don't ask what's true or false. We ask about the team we're on and how this is going to affect an outcome. But we very rarely concern ourselves with actual principles. And while this is a big problem for us, I think we can model it. And I'm about to model it right now by making every tribal person upset. Because I have, and I'm so grateful for this, I have listeners of a lot of different stripes. I have traditional Democrats. I have some progressives. I hear from them sometimes that, listen, I have never-Trumpers who are like me. They're conservative never-Trumpers. Then I have never-Trumpers who are from the left or just generally have some kind of derangement uh, towards this personality that's going to go away at some point. We're going to forget he ever existed. Um, I have uh, atheists and Christians. I have, I have a lot of different people that listen. And I think there is at least in all of us some amount of tribalism where we don't evaluate based on facts, reason, true and false. We evaluate on visceral emotional reactions to things. Uh, and so I think I think everybody is going to have uh, is going to be made to feel uncomfortable over the beginning part of the show. So here we go. Donald Trump's speech in the Oval Office on Tuesday night was generally correct. 
for some of you, you hear that and it feels like a punch to the gut. No, everything he does is bad. Eh. We don't we don't judge things based on personality. We judge things on whether they're true or false. And sometimes bad people say the right things. In general, the president was correct. He actually had a, whoever had that idea to give the speech from the Oval Office. That was a great idea. If I were in the same situation and I were advisor to a president, and this was the situation we were in where we just wanted $5 billion, this little pittance for some portion of a border wall, and I'm being held up by the opposition, there's a government shutdown because of it, oh, I'm, I'm taken to the Oval Office. I'm going to go on every network and make my case. And he did a pretty good job because he didn't ad-lib. He didn't go off the script that someone else wrote. He read the words someone else wrote. He didn't read them great, but he read them. And he was generally correct. It was generally a good idea to go on the air and make the case. Because I wish you would have said this a little more clearly. Up until the moment that Donald Trump said he wanted a border wall, it was a really popular idea in America. If you traffic in the conservative parts of social media, you, you would or if you watch Fox News all the time, you would have seen these montages. There's montages of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and, and Harry Reid from back in the day talking about the need for border security and a border wall specifically. We, we got video of just 10 years ago, sometimes a little less than that, of Democrats and folks on the left decrying the, the problem of illegal immigration and how it hurts our economy and it's low skill, hurts low-skill workers. This used to be a very popular position in both parties. We're talking like there's so few things where even 50% of Americans agree. This is a thing where like, it was like 65 or 70% of Americans agreed 10 years ago, 8 years ago. Should we have a border wall? Uh, yeah, that's like easy. Well, duh. If you don't have a secured border, you're... The government's really not doing its job. You don't know who's coming in and coming out. That's like a fundamental function of government. Yeah, of course we should. This should be a note of how toxic this president is. Because an idea everyone had, an I nah, I shouldn't say that. Uh, a, an idea that the majority of Americans had, an idea that a majority of Americans agreed upon, basically just because he's become associated with it, because he is now associated with the wall, people who thought that, Five, six years ago, they don't think it anymore. Because to them, it's it's them agreeing with this monster. It's, it's agreeing with this this piece of garbage. And so they can't, they can't think that thing anymore. Now, I'm not doing that because I'm an adult and rational. And rational adults don't think, hey, well, that person I don't like agrees with the policy I want. So I don't, I don't like that policy anymore. I think my idea is wrong because that person over there agrees with me. Yeah, that's an insane way to live. That's the way that Trump derangement syndrome is real. There is a Trump derangement syndrome. I don't have it, but I know those that do. We're literally, something you believe that's a really good idea that, we, that a majority of Americans agreed on just in the last few years because he's now associated with it, people change their mind, that's derangement. That's psychopathic or sociopathic. Actually, I don't know what either one of those terms mean. It's just crazy. It's a crazy thing to change your mind because the president has that particular opinion. So, we have this generally good idea. He was generally cor correct. His delivery was terrible, but it's better than his, no his normal delivery. If I was going to have him be stodgy and sometimes struggle to read the teleprompter versus get on stage and insult someone, I would rather him be stodgy and just read the script that someone else wrote for him. The only part I would... I would have changed. Uh, so one, I, I wish he would have made the point. Guys, 
it used to be the country just everyone thought this. It's just now people are crazy about me. And it would, man, it wouldn't have brought some healing if he would have said, and I caused some of that through my own behavior. I have caused this fear and anxiety and anger. But this used to be an idea we could all unify around. So call your congressman, call your senator. Let's just get this done. $5 billion is nothing compared to our $3 trillion budget. $5 billion is nothing. That's basically, I'm almost positive, it's like two aircraft carriers. Like, we spend $2 billion on one thing for the military. And he should have should have drawn that out. People used to agree on this. It's not a lot of money. We do need it as a matter of law and order and just good, logical government. Now, he tried to paint it as a humanitarian crisis. I think it's going too far. I mean, it's a problem. I mean, the Hondurans and Guatemalans and Mexicans that try to come through, there's a problem down at the border. I don't know if it's a humanitarian crisis. And then the other part I I wish he wouldn't have done. Near the end, when he was doing the MS-13 in Maryland, here's a story out of California. We have have Americans who are dying because of people coming across the border illegally. That is the immigration equivalent of Barack Obama telling, let me tell you a story about Sally. And Sally was born with this debilitating disease. And Sally was was denied coverage by all these insurance companies. And that's why, all right, all right, I don't need your anecdotes. I don't need that. I need evidence. I need stats. I don't need your stories. And that's that's all that was. That was trying to uh, pull your heartstrings, trying to manipulate your emotions, trying to manipulate the American people's emotions into agreeing. That's a left-wing thing. It's a left-wing thing to try to manipulate emotions and to, to get people to agree with you. So I wish you wouldn't have done that. Just make the case. If it would have been me, because I, I think we should end the government shutdown, and we should end the government shutdown by at least $5.5 billion for a fence. We should have more than $5.5 billion for a fence or a wall. Of course we should build one. That's just good, logical government. Vast majority of Americans agree with that. I don't know. Three years ago, we were all on the same page until this guy came along and broke us apart. I, I would have sat down in that chair and just said, hey, it's really bad government to not know who's coming into the country. It, it doesn't cost much to secure the parts of the, the border that we need to get secured. I've compromised with the other side where I wanted this kind of wall. They want this kind of wall. I'm willing to give in to that. We, we have a government shutdown that's, that's affecting some people. And so would you call your congressman? Would you, would you call your senator and let them know that this is something that a majority of Americans used to agree on wholeheartedly? And, and, you know, even... Uh, well, I guess if I were saying it, I wouldn't need to apologize. I was going to say he should have apologized for causing some of the rancor around it. But if I'm saying it, just make the case. It's very logical. We need a wall. Okay, so there's a group of people that hear all that and go, you traitor, you're supposed to be anti-Trump everything. No, I'm anti-false, and I'm anti-evil, I'm anti-immorality, and when the president gets something right, even if it's accidental, he, I'm going to say so. So he's generally right. Now watch this. You know who is also right? Mitt Romney last week. A bunch of people were mad at him. But Mitt Romney writes an op-ed that says, I was, I was, hope, I was hopeful that the president would rise, the way, he, the way Mitt Romney said it, rise to the mantle of the presidency. So change his behavior, change his immorality, uh, change his really unstable behavior, act like an adult, grow up, that the that the office would mature him. The office would uh, w- would make him a more honorable person. And Mitt Romney accurately said, but it didn't. 
and it's it's unfortunate that the president still behaves the way he does and does the thing and does the things that he does. You see how I can do that, and I'm modeling that, and you should be able to do it too. So Mitt Romney's right; the president is still a garbage human being and should behave differently. Also, the president was right in that speech. We should have a border wall, some kind of fence. We should have some kind of physical barrier on the southern border because that just makes good sense. And that's a model I would love for you to take. Both things can happen. You just evaluate evaluate what Mitt Romney said and evaluate what Donald Trump said, the actual true or falseness of it, and not the personality. I had someone on my Facebook feed when I posted about Mitt Romney, what he said about the president. All they did was attack Mitt Romney. Well, if he would have attacked Obama like... Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, that's not the question. The question is, is he right or wrong? And the answer is, he's right. I have a couple more thoughts on this. I want to move on to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We have lots more to do. Stick with us for the remainder of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Connect to the show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat. Just look for me, Corey Act. You will find me there. Send your thoughts, your comments, or any kind of story you think would be useful to cover. You can do that uh, as well. Um, and also the show's on demand just about everywhere for those that listen to the podcast. Uh, if, you, uh, if you want to actually call in, it's a possibility if you download the Anchor app. You can basically leave a voicemail there on the Anchor app for me. And uh, if it is something that needs to be shared with everybody, I can play it on the show. So you can download the Anchor app, find me, Corey Truax, and, uh, and join in the conversation. So this first part here, we're almost finished. I am just trying to model a thing that I preach. Don't evaluate information based on personality. Evaluate information based on rightness, wrongness, truth, and false, or true and false. So the two things can be uh, true at the same time, that Mitt Romney's op-ed that I thought was, if you didn't read it, you should go read it. A lot of people didn't read it. They just got the news reports about it, uh, and so they just know they, if they like the president, if they're in the Trump cult, they know that Mitt Romney's a bad guy. Um, and if they don't like the president, then Mitt Romney's the new best guy in conservatism. Uh, but everyone should just go read the op-ed. So that can be true. Mitt Romney's right. The president's morally unqualified. And then he can also, uh, Mitt Romney can be right about that. And then the president can be right about the southern border and what we should do there. And what he what he said on Tuesday night was right. He's just correct there. Both of these things can be true at the same time. It was disappointing to me that an otherwise smart person posted on my Facebook thread just a bunch of criticisms about Mitt Romney. And, and I, I saw that too. In some other, I actually saw it on a Facebook live feed. Uh, for the morning show here on WLFJ with Dr. Beam and uh, Hannah, someone basically doing the same thing about Mitt Romney, just attacking him. That None of that matters, guys. It doesn't matter how Mitt Romney handled Barack Obama. It doesn't matter if, well, Donald Trump won an election, Mitt Romney didn't win one. Is that how morality works now, guys? Is that, is that how true and false works? Is that why, So you're... I'm sure you're going to say Barack Obama's a dang good guy, right? He's the best, because he won. This is not how morality and true and false work. We evaluate things based on their rightness and wrongness. And if you're not doing that, fix your brain. That's the way to move forward and help us all be a better country. All right, then moving on. The version of this I found on uh, this interview I want to play for you has music behind it. I don't know why, because the Washington Post, uh, their compilation... They thought it would be more dramatic with music, and so you're going to hear some music behind it. But here's what I want to do next. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 
She is the 29-year-old new congresswoman from one of the districts in the Bronx in New York City. I have never brought her up on the show. I find her to be somewhat irrelevant. I don't know why so many conservatives do seem obsessed with her out in social media. I only want to talk about this because uh, it's indicative of larger philosophies, and that's what we do here. We don't talk about people as much. We don't talk about current events as much. We try to talk about ideas. And so I really don't care to talk about her. I want to talk about the ideas she puts forward here. Uh, But then also, I think she's becoming more significant because folks on the left and in the Democratic Party have made her their face. They are saying, look at her. She's one of our thought leaders. She's one of the leaders of this show. And so if you're saying that to me, that she's one of your leaders, well then, okay, I'll listen to you. Uh, I want to hear what she has to say if she's going to be the new face of leftism. And so there's several different things that she said that got attention here recently in a 60 Minutes interview. Anderson Cooper conducted the interview. I'm going to play for you uh, pieces of it and then uh, comment as we go. So here's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Anderson Cooper. Do you have a specific on the tax rate? You know, you look at our tax rates back in the 60s, and when you have a progressive tax rate system, your tax rate, you know, let's say from zero to $75,000 may be 10% or 15%, et cetera. But once you get to like the tippy tops, uh, on your 10 millionth dollar, uh, sometimes you see tax rates as high as 60 or 70%. Okay, real quick. First, uh, I know you're 29. But I wonder if we could take tippy tops out of your uh, out of your vocabulary. Um, I criticize the other politicians for uh, being challenged in the way in which they uh, present themselves. The tippy tops, not a great way uh, to explain what you're trying to say. Now, what she is being challenged on there by Anderson Cooper is her Green New Deal. Because now that the Democratic Party is running the House, one of the things that we are going to have to contend with as a country is how much do we want to spend on global warming and climate change. Her Green New Deal looks to cost trillions of dollars, so ways in which to reduce our carbon output as a country. Anderson Cooper does the right thing. Well, how do you how do you propose to pay for your idea? She's had the same problem with her Medicare for all. Well, how do you propose to pay for it? And so she does something here that's kind of laughable, and, it need, and we need to, as a country, be mature enough to say so. So we need to have the, the mathematical skills and also take it from last week's theme. What's, what's a good theme for the year? Hey, well, let's admit for every benefit that there's a cost. There's a cost for every idea for, our, for the benefit. So let's say her benefit is, well, we're going to reduce our carbon, and that's going to be better for the planet, and there's some good things that come out of that. Okay, well, that's going to cost something. How much does it cost? And she goes back to, well, you know, during she doesn't actually say it. I wonder if she even knows it. During Dwight Eisenhower's administration, uh, there was there were some tax rates for the highest income levels that were up in the 70, 80, and there's a while there there was even a 90% tax bracket. The issue she has here is if you adjust those, do- those dollars for inflation, we're talking about people were paying the 60% tax rate on today's dollars of like 10 million bucks. Like we're, we're, we're talking about gigantic earnings and it was on income. And so uh, the... Tax, uh, one of the tax foundations I that's connected to the Cato Foundation that I follow, they did the analysis on this, and it would raise a couple billion dollars if we did it. If we if we adjust for inflation, 
the you know when, what they were paying you know a, a million dollar income now is not a million dollar income anymore. Those dollars don't go as far. The inflation has adjusted those. We get a little bit extra money by by taxing the rich. Another problem she runs into there is a lot of the highest income people don't actually make their money through income. They make it through capital gains. They make it through investment. And that was not being taxed at that rate then. And so just the math, if we're just being honest, we're being adults because we want to evaluate the the policy. Well, that math doesn't work. So if you're saying we just want to tax the rich and that'll pay for my new my uh, Green New Deal, you're coming up, I'm not joking here, you're coming up trillion short. Your plan is going to cost over a trillion dollars. Your proposal raises a couple billion dollars. You're coming up almost a trillion dollars short of your idea. So I understand that's what you want and you want to benefit. Come on back to me once you've thought about it some more, once you've done some more work, you've thought about it more deeply, and you have a way to pay for it. I'm willing to hear you out. But right now, you, you just don't have it. I, I have. I, I want to keep riffing on that, but I'll leave it alone. Here's more of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doesn't mean all $10 million are taxed at an extremely high rate, but it means that as you climb up this ladder, you should be contributing more. These are politically dangerous tactics that you're using. You've heard that? Yeah. Do you believe it? It's absolutely risky. It requires risk to try something new, but... um, but also, we know so much of, of what we've tried in the past hasn't worked either. What we have in mind, uh, and what of my and my policies most closely re- resemble what we see in the UK, in Norway, in Finland, in Sweden. So those are different. Um, the UK is very different than Norway, Finland, Sweden. This is one of the things I was going to riff on on her environmental uh, policy a second ago. The the Finns and the Swedes and all those Norwegian uh, or Scandinavian countries, I mean, their tax rates, let me say it this way. I would love it if Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would be honest about what all their ideas cost. Because the, the tax rate over there for a middle class person, just middle income, we are talking about 60% is what they pay. And so what, and they would, what they would argue if you're over in those countries, well, yeah, we're paying 60% of my $55,000 income. I don't know what their money's called, but let's go with the average income being about 50000 U.S. dollars. I may be paying 60% of it, but I never actually pay for, out of my own pocket, for any education, like even higher ed. I never pay out of my pocket for healthcare. And so, yeah, they're taking all of my money, but I, I don't have to pay at the point of service when I go get services. Again, I can take that argument. For every benefit, there's a cost, but at least those Scandinavian countries are being obvious and honest about the cost. The cost is not tax the rich. The cost is tax everyone super high to pay for this other, to to pay for all of these services. I don't want to do that. I think we have been the economic, sometimes I say think, and I don't need to say think. We are, I don't think this is true, it's true. We are the economic engine of the world because we have been one of the lower tax taxation uh, places in the world. Because people have had their money to invest and experiment with and take risks with. There is um, there is safety in being taxed a bunch and the government taking care of you. But you know where real achievement happens is where risk happens. And we have been a place that allows risk. And sometimes it fails and sometimes it works. And so when she says that her policies are closer to those countries, she's right. But they need to talk about that. Let's be honest. Well, how much are you taxed in Finland, Sweden, and Norway? Well, the average person pays over 60% of their income 
and at least say so. Talk about the cost that comes with the benefit. How are you going to pay for all of this? No one asks how we're going to pay for this space force. No one asked how we paid for a $2 trillion tax cut. We only ask how we pay for it on issues of housing, health care, and education. Not true at all. Uh, so the Space Force. Uh, I would ask that question. If somebody was actually saying, hey, we want to start a new government agency that's going to go to space, I would raise my hand and say, okay, um, what's, the, what's the price tag? Where do, we get, where do we get that money? On a tax cut, you don't pay for a tax cut, darling. That's not that's not money uh, that we're spending. That's money that we're letting other people keep. Now there needs to be corresponding cuts in spending. We need we do need to do that. But that language of how do you pay for a tax cut literally doesn't make sense. I mean that in the denotative sense. That's not a sentence that corresponds to reality. You don't pay for a tax cut. You need to cut other spending, but it's not anything that costs anything. It's just allowing other people to keep the money they earned. One of the criticisms of you is that your math is fuzzy. The Washington Post recently awarded you four Pinocchios oh my goodness. for uh, misstating some statistics about Pentagon spending. If people want to really blow up one figure here or one word there, I would argue that they're missing the forest for the trees. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. Ooh, wow, that is stupid. Does that mean, I guess, I mean, I, but that is a really stupid thing to say. Guys, we need to be concerned with both things. You actually can't have one without the other. You can't be morally right and factually incorrect, like, and you're, you can't, you just can't do that. You, you have to have your, your, if your morality is straight, you're going to seek out that which is true. But this is, that is actually the money line. That's the one I wanted to get to from the interview. It's the one line I heard that really did illustrate to me the big problem we have in the country. That is a philosophy that is pervasive. Where there's a chunk of folks out there that think, as long as you're, you're compassionate, as long as you're trying to be nice and sweet, it doesn't matter if you're right or not. It doesn't matter if your facts add up, if your math is there. That's what she's arguing. She's arguing there are a bunch of people out there, she, she would say that of me, like you, Corey, who are very worried about the facts, where I am worried about the people. Well, you know what's best for people? Truth and facts. You know what's best for people? Growing up and recognizing that there are costs to everything recognizing that we uh, that whatever policy we have is, is going to have consequence to it, and then embracing that and, and trying to find our way to the best accurate truth and the best policy we can get to. That is what is best for people. There's a, a group of people that draw a line in between being factually correct and being morally correct, and there's no line there. Those two things go together, being factually correct and morally correct, but that is Alexandria Ocasio or Cortez out there to... And if folks on the left are going to make her uh, a big personality, we should at least know what she's saying and how to respond to it. But the more important point is not her. It's what she said there. She, and all of those ideas, there's consequences to them, and we should recognize that there's not a line of separation between, between being morally correct and uh, factually correct. That leads me to, you know, I'll save that for the last segment. Let me take you here to something I heard on NPR recently. 
I actually think this is going to be a really good illustration of what we were, we were just talking about. Uh, but again, this is not about the people, the personalities. This is the ideas they put forward. Ted Yoho is a congressman from Florida. He was on NPR talking about the government shutdown and what it was over. Near the end here, Mary Louise Kelly, one of the NPR hosts, so this is on Morning Edition, I think, is trying to make the point that you know, we have a government shutdown and that affects government workers and they're real people and they have real lives and there's consequences to that. I want to play for you the exchange and then I have some thoughts on it. This is Mary Louise Kelly and then Congressman Ted Yoho. In the moments that we have left, I keep circling back to this point, but it's a big one. We are talking about real people here with mortgages and car payments and childcare expenses. And what I don't hear anytime we interview a lawmaker is that there's an end in sight. Are you prepared to tell those people this could go on for weeks? No, because I don't think it'll go on that long. I think you'll see something come up here in the next couple of days. Uh, I would be surprised if it went beyond this weekend. Huh. Um, but again, they have to be willing to agree. And I think this is something we all agree on. Right. We need border security. Okay. By the way, he said that on January 3rd, it did not get solved that weekend. Now, her argument is what is the one that I was, I was listening to this live and thought, man, if I were Ted Yoho, I would be responding very differently. This government shutdown, it's affecting a, f a few thousand. I think it's fewer than 10,000 people are not working and not getting paid. Her argument, I get it. And I feel I do feel a lot of empathy for that idea. Uh, expecting an income and not having it. Expecting to go to work and not going. But this is That's a real issue. I would have responded to Mary Louise Kelly, and this is something we need to... I think we have, we need to have in all of life. She is arguing, hey, this budget that's, uh, this, these budget deals that make up over a, over a year's time, trillions of dollars, this idea of border security and this $5.5 billion, I think we should be thinking about the few thousand people who aren't going to work, and we should make decisions based on that. So this is not how good adult decisions are made. You can't make policy based on the comfort level of a very small group of people. We do this way too much. Stuff that affects 0.1% of the population, affects 1% of the population. We call it a crisis, and then we want to make policy Obamacare debate. This is one of the problems. What we were hearing from folks who wanted to take over the healthcare system, from folks who wanted to take over the healthcare system, is... You've got, uh, well, I think they were saying 16 or 17%, like 16 or 17% of people couldn't get coverage or were walking around out in the world with no healthcare coverage and they wanted it and couldn't get it. Okay, so we have an issue with 16% of the population. And you want to pass a policy that affects 100% of the population? This is not how you do things. This is not rational adult thinking that, well, here's a, but it, it pulled on our emotions. But it's so sad. That's 16% of people. They're in such a sad situation. So let's do whatever we have to to help that 16%. I do remember hearing the, the, uh, from Barack Obama something like 40 million. 40 million people have this problem. All right, well, there's 320 million of us, okay? Why do you get to make a policy that affects all of the other millions and millions to, to try to help these 40 million? Those 40 million are people. Those 40 million people deserve respect and dignity and I am I am all for a discussion on how to assist what their 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 situation and their their problem 
I'm I'm in. I, I'm for that compassion. But when you put forward an idea that is, let's do something that affects everyone based on the sad story I heard, well, you're not being rational. You're not being an adult. You're not growing up like you should. And that's part of it, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's issue. It's sometimes our issue in work, in marriage, in or- other organizations where we take a small thing and then try to make gigantic decisions based on that one smaller situation, and we should be careful not to do that. When we come back, that question I got uh, is through, a, I think it was a Facebook message, you know, in, a, in a world that's this crazy, what's, what's a Christian to do? How are we to live and react to the insanity that we see? And I do have one overarching theme I want to give to that. We'll do that when we come back on the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. We're going to finish up here in just a little bit talking sports with Heath because the local team won a very big game this, uh, this week, and so we'll talk about that some. But I got this question over uh, for some social media messaging app that brought me the story from New York City where uh, those born in New York City now, you can, you can put on your kid's birth certificate that they're non-binary. So they can have all the parts of a male, all the parts of a woman, as 99.99% of people do at birth. But if mom and dad are insane and want to say their kid doesn't have a gender, they can do that. And that comes on the heels of some of the stories of people being punished, like teachers for being unwilling to call male students female or female students male when they want to be. It comes on the, the heels of, uh, there's, I can't remember, was it Timby Stevens College? There was a college, a women's college that just announced they're going to be admitting biological males who identify as women. And that, this goes further. I mean, I could go through more things than just the transgender stuff, but it, where it does, it does, it does feel like the American culture thinks that right is wrong, wrong is right, up is down, left is right, like everything is backwards. That's, that is how the, the culture feels all the time. I, I'll give you another example. I saw on Facebook uh, someone posted about abortion, which is always risky, but a, a person I, I like, I mean, we don't agree on much, I like, I respect him, comes out and just, well, if you were really against abortion you would just be for government birth control for all things. Like, that's what you would be doing because that that's what would stop abortion. Well, it probably would help. You know, actually, it's, uh, abortions are down. Uh, this is a, It hurts Planned Parenthood's bottom line. They're not making as much money because birth controls have gotten so much more effective and they are fairly inexpensive, a lot of them. Uh, and so abortions are down partly because of the effectiveness of birth control. But the his argument there being... Well, if you're just only wanting to stop abortion, what you what what you would be for is more birth control. It is almost as if the American mind can't fathom just not having. How about you just don't have unprotected sex with someone you're not married to? You don't want a kid. Like that that literally can't fit in anyone's brain. Well, of course we're gonna have totally unprotected sex with a bunch of people. Of course that's that, that's just the morality of America. Like, it can't fit in the brain to re-engineer and go back and go, well, maybe just skip that step. And so what, what comes to mind is Romans. That in a fallen world, I think that's Romans. 
eh, 12, 1? What? Ah, oh, man, no, 12, 1 is the, uh, I, I, I know that one. Don't be conformed, maybe. Um, but somewhere in Rome, uh, in Romans, the message from, it's Romans 1. Yeah, it's the end of Romans 1, where you get the, God gave them over to this depraved mind. He gave the culture over, the, the culture that rejects him. He gave, he gave them to their, their depravity. That professing themselves wise, they became fools. They consider that's where a lot of the, the foolishness comes from. It comes from higher ed. It comes from college campuses where they just say the most insane things. It's where a lot of the insanity comes from. It's from where the, the, the halls of wisdom. And so this secular culture that's rejected biblical truth, well, God will give themselves over to the consequences of their, of their paganism. God will give them over to those consequences, and they will profess themselves wise, and they are just fools. So in that world, what's the call that was given to the Christian? We have the same call that Paul then gave in Romans to those Christians in Rome. Remember, that's what he, who he's talking to. His first audience was a bunch of Jesus followers in a very pagan and depraved culture, a violent culture, a, a culture that had sex and violence as recreational things to engage in, or, or even, I mean, they were killing people for sport, worshiping a bunch of fake and false gods. He's writing to Christians who are living in that pagan culture, and his message was, don't be conformed to it. Just don't conform to this world. How, so what's a Christian to do in this world of insanity? There might be some other things, but let me start here. Let me start from Paul. Don't be like it. Don't agree. Don't have your mind shaped by that culture's art and movies and music and opinions and philosophies. Instead, by the renewing of your mind that through the, through the word and through, uh, through good influences, through a church setting, have your mind be from where you're from the kingdom of God mindset. Just don't be conformed to this world. You can look at it. You don't have to be mean to it. You don't have to mock it. You can even weep for it. That's probably a better reaction. But what's what are we to do in a pagan culture that's gone insane? Let me give you Paul from Romans. Don't be conformed to it. Don't think like them. Don't behave like them. In that way, be different. Be, be a light unto Be salt and light in that world. And don't be overwhelmed by it. Don't be overcome with it. That's the best advice I could give. Uh, and I know how you feel. A lot of times it does feel overwhelming in the insanity of the culture that we're in. Uh, but don't be conformed to it. Don't be overwhelmed by it. All right. So uh, if you didn't know, there was a gigantic game on Monday night. And uh, we're going to spend more time than usual talking sports. We'll get back to a, a more normal, uh, a more normal uh, balance to sports next week. But let's move on to it right now. At least to me, the unspeakable has happened. The mighty, mighty Alabama Crimson Tide have been humbled. We're going to talk about that with the sports correspondent of the show, Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. The first time that these two played in championship games, yep. I left thinking, if that if this was a seven-game series, they'd go to seven games. Right. I did not feel that way about this game. No, this, this championship was a little different than the first two, where the first one was very tight. The second one was very tight, last second touchdown. This one was an absolute beatdown. And almost like at the at – The only consistent thing in the three games is the Clemson quarterback play. That's true. And uh, they're, they're, wide receivers. And, and 
world breaker wide receivers. Yeah. That is the difference. The um, yeah. Our, I, as much as I love uh, Ray Ray McLeod and Deion Kane, they're not Higgins and Ross, and they're not Williams and Scott. No, this is a different level here. You know what I mean? Yeah, these two are going to be better than Williams and Scott, anyways. Now, Mike Williams was unbelievable. Yeah, but Ross or and Higgins I are going to be that good or better. I have two things I think went wrong for Alabama, and so I want to showed you- up. <laughs> they got on the field. They put their helmets on. They got on the uh, the number one bus instead of the Roy bus. The Roy bus. I will give you my two, and I want to get your reaction okay. and see if you have others. I think one was the secondary, and maybe there isn't a secondary, but they tried to play man on these guys, and they just you just can't. Here's the thing about Alabama: their secondary's been suspect all year. Mm. They, you have to you have to get past the rhetoric of everything you watch on TV if you're not going to watch the games, because everything they tell you is Alabama's unbeatable. This is too, is too good. Mm-hmm. Alabama's defensive line and offensive line are too good. The running backs are too good. One guy even said Alabama's secondary is better than Clemson's wide receivers. That's insane. That is absolute insanity. You yeah. have obviously not watched any football. They say, well, SEC, ACC, throw that out. Mm-hmm. Watch the teams that are playing. Yeah. Watch the talent that is playing. The uh, the names on the uh, on the jerseys are not conferences. That's right. These are particular teams. Right. And so one was game plan. I hate to say it was coaching, but it sort of was. No, you I was going to say my my biggest thing from Alabama. And the takeaway was they got absolutely out coached. They sure did. Which is rare to say about Saban, mm-hmm. but that was his call on the fake field goal, fourth and six. Oh man, that was terrible. When you see Clemson's defense line up. For the fake, how do you not call a timeout and either run Tua out there, yep. run Jalen out there, or actually let your guy attempt to kick the ball, which he yep. has a trouble doing? Yeah, he missed that extra point as well. Right, but like just defensively, they got into a room together, obviously as coaches, and said, "Can we play man against these guys?" And they decided as a coaching staff, "Yep, we can. We can play man on them." Do you know why though? I can't imagine. They're scared of Trevor Lawrence. Oh yeah, so they didn't have to do that on Kelly Bryant. You stack the box and you play zone. Yep. and you make the wide receiver try to find a hole in the zone. They they thought they could play man, and they they thought they were going to play man, and these wide receivers absolutely destroyed the secondary. It was almost I almost felt bad that they were being bullied sometimes by Ross and Higgins. Like not they were never like fouling them or no yeah. interference. It was just those guys are so. But if you big. look at the at the seven whatever sixty five yard touchdown whatever with a guy. I think he, he he looked like he tore his Achilles to me. Yes, I don't happened. know what happened to me either. him. But anyways, if you look at Ross getting off the press man coverage, he looked like uh, Julio Jones. Yes, he, he looked did. like Des Bryant. He did. It was an NFL caliber move for that wide receiver to get off the press coverage. It was, it was incredible. And as soon as he made his club move, he was gone. Yeah. That's, that stuff's all uh, why Dez was so good for so long. Right. He just could bully you. Yep. He was bigger and tougher than yep. you were. Justin Ross is bigger and tougher than that junior corner. Right. Or and let's, let's also throw this caveat 18, out there. Justin Ross is a true freshman. Insane. T. Higgins is a true sophomore. So The other game plan part. like So yeah. what, what happened to Alabama? How did this happen? Well, I think you tried to play man against the wrong team. And then on offense, like the first three plays for passes, that third pass was a pick six. Mm-hmm. They were running the ball okay when they would run it. But for some reason, they just wouldn't run it. Well, here, here's the mindset behind that. Saban knows he can't run the the ball all game and win. Mm. He knows what Clemson has: quarterback, wide receiver. You mean they can't score back. fast they enough? They can't score enough okay. points to have. Because if you notice, they weren't running any tempo. You know, they take a few shots, but once Venables disguised his coverages, Tua was absolutely confused the entire game. He did have the one fantastic throw after the pick six. His next throw was a oh, yeah. you know, sixty-five yard touchdown. But honestly, that's more Tanner Muse not being a cover safety than it yeah. is. A great game plan. But anyways, 
Venable's game plan, the way to disguise his blitzes and his coverages, was mm-hmm. it's the best coaching job I've seen all year. Yes. Uh, Tua had some other great throws. Yeah. But that was the case with Venable's. Tua seemed like he was seeing ghosts. If you look at the pick six and you go back and watch in slow motion, you can see how the coverage was disguised. Yep. And he absolutely jumped that route, and Tua had no idea he was even close. I feel like Terrell baited him. He did. He was he, he dropped back a man, but then he jumped jumped the short pass. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Venables uh, with that blitz from Trayvon Mullen that caused a, a force yeah blindside. Yeah, that Bama cut, recovered. But well, you know, Bama fumbled like three times, and we didn't jump on any of them. Yeah, but yeah, that was a fantastic blitz. The the uh, the total domination here blew my mind in a way. Let, let's say again, it was a seven game series. Yeah, maybe it goes five games. Yeah, maybe Bama finds a way to win one. But I'll be honest with you. If it's the two teams that were out there, uh, it's a sweep for Clemson for me. They were absolutely outplayed. They were out talented. They were out schemed, and they were out coached. And there's nothing you can do about that. The uh, at the end of the first half, when so Clemson goes down and scores uh, the field goal. It's thirty-one sixteen. Yep. Bama gets the ball with a little bit more than a minute left. They didn't, they gave up. They didn't try. If you noticed any of the defensive players, they gave up when they were trying to tackle. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seemed like the coaching staff gave up where you don't even attempt to, to get a ball in the end zone. You're just going to let the clock run out? Yeah, really, even with that kicker having a bad time, you yeah. really only need the 25-yard line. Right. You get the 25-yard line, you get three points out at of it. At least take a shot at scoring. And something we talked about, I think, all year long with Clemson is that teams they played get demoralized. Mm-hmm. And then I finally concluded, well, that's because they were being demoralized. Yeah. Clemson was crushing them into the ground. Yeah. When Nick Saban didn't run any plays at the end of the half, I just went, I don't know what's happening. It's almost like you can see the Clemson sideline go, we got them. Like, this game is over. There was a moment, like, I I thought uh, in the first five minutes, I was like, this game's going to be 50 to 55, mm-hmm. and this is, like, it's going to be an incredible epic. And then somewhere around, uh, I guess it was the second pick, I went, something weird is happening. Yeah, well, as soon as, you know, Alabama went up 16-14, yep. and they didn't score another point. So in the second quarter somewhere, I told my wife, I said, I think this game is over. And, of course, you know, it's Alabama, and they have this big mistake, which they've earned the mystique. They sure been, They've been dominant for years. But it just kept getting worse and worse for Alabama. Like, they couldn't recover. It's almost like if you – I enjoy the UFC. When, mm-hmm. when the cha- – you know, you'll have a champion that's a champion for a year or two. But there always comes that fight where somebody lands a punch or a kick – and it knocks them down, and they don't know what to do then. They, they can't recover because it's never happened to them before. Yeah. The, what's the old Mike Tyson thing? Uh, it's great to have a game plan until you get punched until in the face. Until you get punched in the mouth, yeah. And I feel like Bama, for the first time literally in years, yeah. got punched in the mouth. They, they got punched in the mouth, and they couldn't get back up. Yeah. They were counted out, and Clemson knew it, and they kept the hammer down, which they finally did. They didn't let up. And, you know, here's the thing, though. If you go back and look at the records for the last four years – both teams are 55 and 4. Incredible. They've both been to four college playoffs. Yeah. They both have two national championships. But my my thing is why does Clemson not get the credit? They better and now. If you watch the rhetoric coming after the game, it's it's not how did Clemson win? It's how did Alabama lose? There's still the rhetoric out there that Alabama's this untouchable world beater. But personally, I think this may be the game where mm-hmm. the mountain starts to crumble for Alabama, where they may not be able to get back up. It happens to everybody. Now, don't call me a kook. It happens. Yeah. But Saban is almost 70. How Gosh. much fire does he have left? Because in this game, he had no fire. He wasn't throwing his headset. 
he wasn't even cussing at people. I know. He had his arms crossed on the sideline, and he didn't even try to score. He didn't He didn't seem uh, to be at all emotionally involved in it. There was no fire from him, and jo- I don't know why. Joel Klatt said on uh, yeah. Colin Cowher. Yeah, that was good. I saw that. The, um, th- he said, I think he called it a factory versus a family. Mm-hmm. But that stat about 13 assistants changing through these four years yeah. for Saban, only two changing yeah. for Dabo. That's, I think, what happened here is finally Saban also made some bad hires. Well, my understanding is it's not that – I mean, he does have great assistance, but as soon as a job is offered, people use Alabama as a stepping stone to a bigger job. Yes. And Clemson, pe- pe- Dabo has put people in position mm-hmm. where they're already bought into the culture. They're bought into the family. They don't need to go anywhere as a stepping stone. They're they're where they want to be. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, my understanding is it's very hard to work for Saban as an assistant. That's mm-hmm. why there's so much turnover. Yeah, you know you can go take a job and have a tough job for a year, but then you're going to bounce to somewhere greater that you're trying to get to. And that just shows to me the stability of the Clemson culture versus the yeah. stability of the Alabama culture. I know. I don't think you're surprised that Clemson won. No, but, I picked it 38-21, to 21, I think. Okay. So, you, but, so you're not even all that surprised at the way it happened. No, because we've been saying all year, Alabama is Alabama, but they're overrated. This is not the Alabama that you're used to. The defense is suspect. Tua is great, but he's sure had is. no pressure. Mm-hmm. And if Clemson can pressure Tua, they can they can destroy Alabama. And they and they did in a way that really surprised me around the um the line of scrimmage. Clemson's O line outplayed the Alabama offensive yeah, and that, line, and that's another thing you heard all week. Quinnen Williams is going to destroy Clemson. Trevor Lawrence is too young; he's too inexperienced. He's a year early. Yeah, he hasn't had to handle anybody like Quinnen Williams. Well, I only heard Quinnen Williams' name called once or twice. Yeah, he made one solo tackle, and he may have been involved in a in another assist. I'm not sure. He was just non-existent. When we come back to do this again next week, we'll talk about that guys going to the NFL. But really quickly, the ones that aren't. Yep, that offense. Could how, be a stork next year. How about the ones that can't go to the NFL? Good point. T. Higgins can't go. Trevor Lawrence can't go. Justin Ross can't go. Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne can't go. Xavier Thomas can't go. It's really incredible that that's what they're all bringing back. Okay, we are uh, all out of time, so thank you to Heath for coming in and doing sports. We'll come back next week and break down some of those other pieces of news of who's leaving and who's and all that. Uh, but hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you would share the show with others, get it out there on social media. Uh, do, do what you can to help us grow here in the new year in 2019. If you have stories uh, you want to see covered, just send those in as well. Uh, we'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.